This episode of Ghosted in West Virginia is brought to you by Right Live. Weddings, private events, band and DJ bookings, live sound, and more. Contact Right Live for all your event needs. We are dedicated to providing entertainment, promotion, production for all of your special events. Contact them at rightliveevents.com, rightliveevents at gmail.com, or on Facebook at Right Live. Until then, enjoy Ghosted by Right Live. Hey guys, it is I from Gro- Alec from Ghosted in West Virginia. I'm just here to tell you that if you want to help Ghosted uh, become the podcast that you, you know it can be, rate, review, and follow wherever you listen to our podcast and spread the show around. All right, let's really get a lot of people in our graveyard. Let's go, folks. You're listening to Ghosted in West Virginia. Possessors, oppressors, and possessors. It is I, your humble host, Alec McCann. And with me as always... Julia. And we have a special one here tonight, folks. If you're listening to this and you're like, why does it sound as if they're inside a wind tunnel? It is because we are, in, we are inside a wind tunnel. No, we're on our way, uh, heading out of, out of uh, town for a little bit tonight. So, oh, those people flash their headlights at us. I wonder if there are cops on the road or something. Possibly. Or, or that was an attempted gang shooting. I don't know. Brian squirted a, his water gun at a truck today, and they blew the horn at us. <laughs> oh, I didn't man. know why they blew the horn at us, and then they told me afterwards that he squirted them with his water gun. Wait, the people in the truck told you or no, the kids? the kids told me after oh. we were away from them. I bet their little hearts were a raisin. Like, oh no! So, we have three stories tonight. We have the ghost of Chernobyl. Then we have the San Pedro haunting. And then we have my personal favorite, the Velisca Axe Murders. So, starting in North Ukraine in the town of Pripyat... The Soviets built a nuclear power plant in the 1980. The plant was centered around four nuclear reactor chambers, each with the ability to produce over 100,000 kilowatts of nuclear energy. On April 26, 1986, employees in the fourth chamber decided to experiment and test the safety measures of the reactor. What's wrong with the baby? And no one's checking. Um, baby's fine. He's just mad. Anyway, so they 
uh, through a series of mishandling materials and unfortunate mistakes and decisions, uh, the core became unstable. So then, 1.23 a.m., the reactor explodes, immediately killing 50 people with a force more powerful than the bombs that were dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Fallout from the event uh, would continue to kill people for years to come. I think the last number I saw was like 800,000 people were uh, had uh, crap, what's the place? Chernobyl related illnesses. The Russian government declared the uh, site uninhabitable and evacuated the whole area, which was around 150 or 150,000 square miles. The town itself is an ominous ghost village, walking among the remains of the people's daily life, while animals roam through the buildings, unafraid of the random humans they come to visit. Is an I mean, just how do you do that? Like, you just see animals not giving a crap that you're there because they've never seen people before. That is strange. Because all the animals that live in the area now are only descendants. They weren't the main livers. Yeah. So their their genes have been mutated. Like, we don't know what's going on with them. They might be... Like, they might have superpowers. Not that I've ever seen any kind of nuclear reaction, radiation, or anything getting off actual superpowers, but that's how it starts in the comics. wonder if they're, like, deformed and stuff. I've seen pictures. They look like normal dogs, deer, stuff like that. Hmm. You ever seen that video of that deer that has, like, the extra nostrils up by its eye? Yeah. I don't know what that's from, but that's gross. That's from that's from mom and dad being brother and sister, I think. Maybe. Days leading up to the tragedy, workers in the fourth chamber reported seeing a black bird that was abnormally large in the sky. Now, initially, I was like, okay, they pulled this from Mothman. Uh, but it seems that many foreign news outlets uh, have reported on the paranormal sighting. And uh, so, so what is the black bird? Becomes the question. Uh, you know, of course, it's asked. You know, is it the is it the the fabled Mothman of Point Pleasant showing up at another disaster? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. The workers claim to have seen a large black bird, human type figure, uh, flying in the sky and tormenting them in their dreams. Just like the Mothman, the Blackbird had glowing red eyes and brought the feeling of impending doom. Some have even said they received strange, indescribable calls up until the radioactive event. So people are getting phone calls, what's in my hand, chapstick, that kind of thing. There are reports the workers relayed their experiences to plant supervisors but were brushed off and ultimately the event happened anyway. That's weird. So the question is, is it elemental or genus loci? 
which I believe means, um, like, is it local to the area? Is it a special type of species yeah. only found in that area? The, uh, someone at Otherworldly Oracle, which I'm guessing is some sort of hippy-dippy spiritual like site, yeah. claims that it's a creature that isn't harmful, that it's an elemental or guardian spirit that is trying to warn people before disaster and potential death. But it's also possible that it's just a big black bird. Uh... Some people have said that the blackbird's a spirit of the land on which Chernobyl sits. Um, some people say, you know, it's a local animal that's trying to scare the workers away. Yeah. Uh, inevitably, the hope is that it was there to try and prevent the nuclear event from ever happening. Which is super cool and weird. Yes. Jacoby, you sound like a moose, man. Because <laughs> you're over here. Uh, uh, uh. You sound like, hey, women moose, where are you? <laughs> the, um, so, it's also interesting that blackbirds in general have been omens of death for thousands of years in various cultures. Um, ancient gods of war and death use black Odin Odin had uh, ravens the there was a thing in um, is it Irish or Celtic culture which is which which one Celtic spans to like or Celtic spans to like Scottish area too right I think so okay so then this so a uh, Celtic goddess, I guess. They didn't really have goddesses and gods, did they? I'm not sure. You're, well, you're more in that realm than I am. We'll have to look that up. We, didn't we do an Irish folklore episode? I don't think so. Oh, I thought I we did. I think we had talked about it, but we never did. Oh, okay. Uh, hold on. This thing's yelling at us. The Morrigan, which was a Celtic goddess of war was on the are you okay Jacob? Jacob's back there choking to death so she would come to battlefields and like clean up the death and decay how nice to have a goddess of war that's like I'll fix, I'll, I'll clean up this is my mess, sorry okay. about that guys, sorry about that um There's also uh, instances where the blackbirds by themselves have been considered just the messengers of death personified. You know, so the birds embody death. And we even have it in our modern culture with the movie The Crow that carries, is supposed to carry the spirits to the afterlife. But if they have unfinished business, he just goes ahead and puts himself in the middle of it and, and puts the body back in and says, go kill people. Does Baby have a bottle? He has a cup back there. Does Baby? Oh, he threw his cup. 
There it is. He's probably like, this is stupid water. Why do I have water? Mommy doesn't like me. Because he's on Broadway. So, um, over a decade following the radioactive tragedy, a physicist from New York traveled to Chernobyl to conduct tests. He claims he was close to the door of Reactor 4 when he heard someone screaming from inside. It sounded like the person was screaming about a fire or that they were trapped inside of a fire. The physicist ceased his testing to listen further but realized Reactor 4 was completely sealed off. No one could get into that area without granted access. And he had been the only one in the building that day, as far as he was told. Later that evening, the physicist was eating outside by the river with a colleague. As he was recounting the strange story from earlier that day, they noticed a floodlight turn on inside the building. They knew no one was in the building, and as soon as they stated it must be faulty wiring or a surge, the light turned back off. To say the scientists were a little freaked out is an understatement. This uh, is actually... You can find that story on Ranker.com, which is one of those BuzzFeed things for the people that have, like, a terrible attention span. So here's a list of 20 different things. I think we've used them for episodes that we couldn't get through. Yeah. Whilst Chernobyl is off-limits to the public, there are still people who sneak in to satisfy their dark tourism obsessions. That's you. Sorry about that. Uh, guided tours can be taken into Pripyat, but ultimately the entire exclusion zone is shut down for human inhabitation. So, unless you sneak in. Unless you sneak in. Uh, the guards work the exclusion zone to see uh, that it's uh, the laws upheld to make sure nobody gets in, but also I doubt anybody's paying attention to it now. You could probably get in there. I know that's where you want to go. It is. I wonder how bad the radiation still is. I mean, I don't know. Let's see here. Because it was so long ago, you would think that it wouldn't be that bad anymore, but I think it's still oh, is. It's supposed to be uninhabitable for 25,000 years, and it only happened in the 80s. Oh. So we're not, we're not even close to that marker. Yeah. Now, a few decades ago, dolls started appearing out of nowhere in Chernobyl. They just started, you know, popping up. Um, There's some videos of uh, dolls just being in there and just, like, popping up. Many people believe that the dolls were put there by tourists, perhaps starting as a random act... But over the years, more and more dolls have appeared. Or maybe they just show up. uh, Dressed in gas masks. Having burnt faces. Shredded dresses. The dolls? Yeah, and these fill the homes, schools, in the exclusion zone. Some are even positioned to stare at people from their windowsills. 
um, children beds and laying in the garden beds discarded in concrete ruins. Question is, are these dolls really haunted or not? Or are they just being strategically placed? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, more tragedy and loss haunts the entire area. Russia invaded Ukraine in February 24th, 2022. Um, even though apparently this uh, war just actually started back in 2014. Uh, I didn't even know that they had like a whole thing back and forth already. Um, but the site has 300 workers that at the time of research they were trapped for 12 days in Chernobyl um, no one lost their life during the ordeal but uh, I mean oh, imagine so that scary. Yeah, like I can't get out of Chernobyl and this place kills yeah. people just because they took a step in so the next thing we have is the San Pedro haunting Known as one of the most well-documented poltergeist cases in history, the malevolent haunting in San Pedro area turned deadly when paranormal investigators were attacked by an unseen presence haunting a young woman and her family. By the way, can I say I said malevolent? I didn't say malevolent or anything like that. I said malevolent. The baby's just grouchy because he's in his car seat. Yeah. Sometimes hauntings are localized to a place or a house with a dark past or a business with a history of death, but sometimes, in the worst cases, you can find yourself haunted no matter where you run by the things that go bump in the night. I would hate that. That's exactly what happened, though, to Jackie Hernandez uh, between 1989 and 1990. So she got a full year of haunting. In one of, <laughs> I guess. In one of the most documented, possibly dangerous cases in the history of paranormal investigation in America. Now, we're not talking about across seas. But here in America, a young woman became the victim of a predatory spirit while trying to get a new start in San Pedro, uh, which is a neighborhood in Los Angeles. I thought San Pedro was like its own thing. Yeah, no, no, not like a state, but I thought in California it was its own little, like, city. Oh. Like, I thought it was San Pedro, California, not San Pedro, Los Angeles, California. Jackie Hernandez was a newly single mother who left her husband along with their two children to get a fresh start in San Pedro. I wrote that wrong. Oh, so she left her children, too? Yeah. She definitely did. She's a terrible mother. No, uh, she left her husband with her two kids uh, to get a fresh start in San Pedro, California. Jackie was already under severe emotional distress as she was struggled uh, having multiple jobs and yet unable to feed her two young children, who she often who she often left in the care of her neighbor, Susan. Oh, I'm going to try and say this name just because I want to. Castaneda. <laughs> Susan Castaneda. It was during this time 
No, that's I can't do that. It's vaguely racist to someone, I'm sure. Although it sounded like uh, it sounded Middle Eastern, so maybe it's not super racist. Is it racist for one race to make fun of itself? Just upset he's in his chair. That's I guess all. if you're making fun of your own people. Yeah, I think so. It should be alright. It was during their time in the home that Jackie started to have terrifying experiences. One night, Jackie went to check on her children, and she was met instead by a sight that was straight out of a horror movie. There's a haggard old man sitting in the corner of a room, staring back at her. What's that sound like? The haunted with the dirty old man in the basement? You say that. Anyway, she described his eyes as glowing and his face emotionless. In a state of panic, she ran to her neighbor's house where Susan calmed her down and listened to her bizarre tale. Susan was, however, not thrown off by the seemingly fantastical nature of Jackie's story. She believed the figure to be a spirit and advised her friend to get in touch with a paranormal investigator, Dr. Barry Taff, and his team. Do you remember Barry Taff? I don't know. From our Entity episode. Sort of. Doris Bither. Yes. He was one of the men she approached in the bookstore to tell him about her house and all that. Uh, and she decided to go to him after watching a televised episode of them investigating the Queen Mary, which is a ship. Yeah. I don't know if we've talked about the Queen Mary in the podcast episodes. Sure. With Jackie's growing fear and the presence of two young children in the house, Barry Taft prioritized Jackie's claims and arrived at the house with his cameraman, Barry Conrad, and photo- photographer, Jeff Wheatcraft. Barry Conrad sounds familiar too. It does. But I don't know if he was involved in the entity episode, but I feel like he was. They were immediately greeted by a foul odor similar to sulfur or rotten eggs that they could not locate. Now, I will say this Dr. Barry Taft does not take an actual spiritual approach to uh, ghosts and things. He typically thinks that it's a person infecting their own environment. Gotcha. Now, if you were to get like Ed Warren in here, of course, Ed Warren never walked into a house that wasn't demon possessed, uh, it doesn't seem. But. Ed Warren would say that the foul odor would immediately say demonic presence. But the uh, parapsychologist that this guy is, he's more about, okay, this is a poltergeist, which is somehow being caused by trauma or turmoil in the home or something like that. I used to want that job. Parapsychologist? Yeah. I thought it was a psychologist for paraplegic people uh, when I first saw it. I was like, oh, I, I guess they do Were need you a. an adult? Yeah. Oh, my. I, well, I was an adult when I started getting interested in ghosts and things. I remember being in like fourth grade, I think, and I got a book from the library that was about like parapsychology. Oh. And stuff like that. Uh, I've always liked 
been interested in it. I I just never uh, really got into it. But the rotten the rotten eggs uh, they couldn't locate, so they proceeded to air out the house in an attempt to discover the source. During the dog farts. During the opening questions of the investigation, the crew and Jackie heard a loud bang in the attic, followed by another louder one right after. Jackie traced the source of the banging to the ceiling above her kitchen and claimed to have seen the ghostly image of a severed head there before accompanied by muffled voices. It was also during this initial questioning that she claimed to have been the target of a projectile object thrown by an unseen force and that a strange liquid had chronically been oozing from the walls later discovered uh, by a laboratory testing to be human blood plasma Interesting. if that is I don't you really have to not believe in God to be like you're causing this that sounds straight demonic I don't think I could walk away from finding out that was human blood coming out of the walls and being like, oh, it doesn't have the, the red in it. It's separated from the red. That's evil. Ah, he says. Next, the team began to take preliminary photographs. Uh, of the house. It was during this photo session that Jeff Wheatcraft and Barry Conrad went up to the attic to document the area. Jeff Wheatcraft was reportedly attacked by an unseen force that threw his camera from his hand and pushed him. They left for the night determined to return and discover what it had costed them in the attic. I the word accosted. Accosted. (laughs) I feel like we've been through here. This is the way we used to go to get Grayson. Oh. Oh, okay. The second attempt proved even more dangerous when, on September 4th, Jeff was the victim of a potential strangulation when a cord mysteriously wrapped itself around his neck. Photographer Gary Bohm, who was in the attic at the time, uh, saw what was happening and rushed over to help and brought him back downstairs. After explaining what happened, Jeff Wheatcraft left the house never to set foot inside it again. And that's fair. Yeah. Dr. Barry Taft, Barry Conrad, and Jackie Hernandez, and two other neighbors listen, terrified to the pounding sounds coming from the attic. Eventually, Jackie moved out of the house to return to a trailer park with her estranged husband. 300 miles north. Ooh. That's a that's a way Here's to go. Here's where my dad's work trucks are. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> that's why I recognize it. Yeah. Oh, you had to come up here with yeah. recently, didn't you? Yeah, uh, to get the couch. The bed thing yeah. that I thought was a couch. Yes. <laughs> Everything returned to normal, and the case, if not solved, was at least closed. However, one night when Jackie was helping a neighbor store a TV in their shed... She claimed the screen flickered on and an image of the old man from San Pedro was staring back at her. Loud bangs began to come from the inside of the shed just as they had with the attic. Jeff and Barry Conrad traveled up north to Weldon, California, where Jackie had moved with her children to continue investigations. 
they held a seance using a Ouija board with Jackie where the apparition claimed to be the ghost of a man murdered in the San Pedro Harbor. It also informed them several other spirits were haunting the area and Jeff had been targeted in an attack because he looked like the spirit's murderer. The ghost revealed it was using Jackie's energy before signing off, claiming the sun was coming up. Just as the electronic equipment malfunctioned, Jeff was again attacked by an unseen force, leaving him physically fine. And with no uh, with no closure on the incident, Jackie decided to move again. She moved several times over the course of the next several years, and the paranormal activity seemed to lessen each time. She finally settled back in Los Angeles, but far away from her former home. Residents have come and gone in her San Pedro home, with several of them claiming to have heard strange and unexplainable sounds coming from the attic. Ultimately, the team believed the ghost to be that of Herman Hendrickson, a 28-year-old man whose body was discovered floating in the harbor of March 1930. The death was officially ruled an accident by Los Angeles Police Department. Dr. Barry Taff also believed that the ghost of the haggard old man was that of John Damon, who originally built the home and perhaps still resides there. Although undoubtedly one of the most famous in the parapsychological history, this is just one of the many documented cases, cases doc, Dr. Barry Taff and his team have investigated where emotional distress and possibly recent mental trauma have made people easy pickings for, par- for the paranormal. It was concluded that Jackie's emotional distress at the time or at that time in her life helped contribute to the power of the hauntings and since gaining a sense of safety and calm the powers of the spirits have weakened their hold on her since the haunting Jackie and others affected by the incident say they have uh, put the haunting behind them and moved on with their lives so this next one is called the Velisca Axe Murder Now, we did this episode already in a full episode on our Patreon. This is a smaller, uh, less in-depth story that I tell here. So, if you want the fuller version, subscribe to our Patreon and you'll get that and a bunch of other stuff that uh, is really good. Yummy, 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 tummy, tummy, tummy. Actually, for your mind and your ghost feelings. So, here we go. It was a quiet evening in 1912, and a family was at home for the night. A father, mother, four... It's okay, Ryan. You really gotta take a chill pill, man. Okay, so just... Okay. Ryan. 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 You're, you're ten years old, and he just started life. Who do you think should be more frustrated? The one that doesn't know how to use his body or what he actually wants or tell you what he wants? Or the one that can probably figure it out by process of elimination? I've already... I can't figure it out. He has a baby. I've ar- and I've already told you he's been in the car seat for a while, so he's probably just grumpy. I, that's the only thing you can do. You've tried everything else. Give him one of his books or something. 
see if he see if he wants this. There you go. You gotta stop being so angry at a baby. It's only acceptable when he's woken you up at three in the morning, screaming, and you've truly done everything because five minutes before that he was screaming at you. Anyway, getting back to this. Quiet evening in 1912 and a family was at home for the night. A father, mother, four young children, and their two sleepover guests were enjoying their peace in each other's company, unknowing that it would be the last time they would ever see each other alive. Josiah Moore, his wife Sarah, their four kids Herman, which is a great name, (laughs) Catherine, Arthur, and Paul, as well as two young guests, Ina and Lena Stillinger, or Stillinger, I'm not sure how to say that one, were brutally murdered in the family home in a grisly case that shook the small town. And then it went cold. Some of the more unsettling details from the crime scene, aside from the brutality of the killings, include a door locked from the inside, the windows being covered, uh, and a hidden attic. And not just windows mirrors were covered. It's creepy. When investigators searched to find who could commit such a heinous act, all of their leads were dead ends. Despite numerous suspects, two trials, and even a confession, the case has never been solved. But even remember, with a confession? Even with a confession. But remember, it's 1912. You can't expect them to be great at police work yet. That's true. June 10th, uh, 1912, a stranger broke into the sleepy Villisca, Iowa home and bludgeoned its eight sleeping inhabitants to death. Now, here's what's weird. Okay, so we talked about the Amityville, right? Yeah. And the fact that no one woke up, even gunshots were happening. No one woke yeah. up. There were no signs of barbiturates or anything in their system. Again, we have a story where people are being murdered by bludgeoning them with the blunt end of an axe. There's got to be screaming involved. Like, you would think. A bed has enough give that when you, you know, especially beds like that. Yeah. I imagine they're real fluffy. I'm imagining probably wrong, but you know. But Joe and Sarah Moore were asleep upstairs while their four children were in a room just down the hall. In the guest room were the two Stillinger sisters, um, you know, having a sleepover. Shortly after June 10th uh, turned to June 11th, someone entered the home through the unlocked door, which wasn't uncommon. The town was considered safe, so, you know, know, we oftentimes don't lock our door. We do now, because I said that online, but before we didn't. (laughs) So don't be trying to come to our house now. We got a metal door, and I have three guns. One of, he doesn't like anybody. And Max will tell us when I need to use it because he won't he won't do anything. He hides behind mom for her to do it. He does. After he viciously Anyone out yeah. chapel room. Now they took it uh, the person took an oil lamp from a table and walks around the ham. They turned the lamp down low, only enough light to supply them with where they immediately were going. They made their way through the home hunting. An oil lamp in one hand, an axe in the other. 
Now, he doesn't go to the Stillinger sisters at first. He goes upstairs, goes past the room of the children, and goes into Mr. and, Moore, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Moore's bedroom. He whacks them down with the axe. Good and proper. Pastes them up. Then he goes into the children's room and, and smashes their faces in. Then he hits the Stillingers downstairs and then leaves, taking the keys from the house and locking the door. The sun comes up. One incredibly nosy neighbor realizes no one's come out of the house real strange let me call his brother let me go over oh no there's a murder help and uh um right now the police determined that the more parents had been murdered first which again no surprise they were the only ones who could have defended themselves uh and the children the axe used to kill them had been swung with such force and held so high above the head that it gouged part of the ceiling above the bed. So this person was like, I am going to make sure these people die. And they'd have to be pretty tall, I would think. Well, Joe alone had been hit by 30 times. So also, how much energy and rage does this person have for this right. family if Joe was hit 30 times? He's going around multiply hitting these people. And at the highest height, swinging down with all your force. Yeah. Um, the children had been hit nearly as much. Miss Moore had been hit more. So after he did 30, he was like, let me, let me hit her like 40, 40 times. Right. And just kill her real real good um the state of the bodies wasn't what concerned the police however uh more of the ritual that was obvious from searching the home left onto glengarry road look at that man in his overalls with his motorbike well, how much were there? 20 after murdering the moors and the stillinger sisters the killer had gone or had done a sort of ritual uh, he covered the parents' heads with sheets, the Moors' children faces with clothing. He then crept to each room, covered all the mirrors and windows with any cloth or towel he could find, and there were even two pound uh, there was even a two pound piece of bacon from the fridge found in the living room with a keychain. I thought this was the person who had the bacon. Yeah. The killer had even washed his hands in a bowl. Uh, before leaving the property. Once police, the coroner, and a minister had arrived at the house, word of the crime spread around the town. Officials uh, told the townspeople against going into the home, but once the investigation was over, there was like a, over 100 people uh, that went into the property to see what had occurred. One of the townsfolk even stole a fragment of Joe's skull as a keepsake. As for the murder, the investigators were really just no close to leads. A few efforts to search the town and the surrounding acreage of countryside were made, but 
you know, they they had five hour head start, and the uh, killer was more than likely that's more than enough time to leave Dodge. Yeah. Bloodhounds weren't able to detect any scent though, either since the crime scene was completely demolished by curious town people, or because the dude was just. There were some people that said this was like a phantom type thing. Like a phantom roving killer. They were they were weird back then though. I don't think people would say that now. Probably not. A few suspects were named over time, although none of them panned out. One, Frank Jones, a local businessman and competitor of Joe Moore. Joe had worked for Frank before starting his own rival farm equipment business. And there were rumors that Joe was having an affair with uh, Jones's daughter-in-law. Although, these claims were not found to be true. The suspect, or the second suspect, seemed much more likely and even confessed to committing the murders, even though he later recanted that statement and claimed he was beaten by police until he confessed. Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly was an English immigrant with a long history of gross deviancy and mental issues. If you guys can guess what gross deviancy is, I have children in the car. I'm sure you all can figure it out. He even admitted that he was in town on the night of the murders and also admitted to fleeing town the morning the bodies were discovered. He was small in stature, quiet and meek. Doubts were raised of his involvement, but, you know, certain factors made him a perfect candidate. You know, Lynn's left-handed, and it was later determined that the murderer was left-handed. He had a creepy history with the Moors. Many people watched uh, him while at church and, and, you know, saw him just watching them do... Like, if he would see them out, he would stop and watch what they were doing. That's creepy. Very creepy. A dry cleaner in town even claimed to have received bloody clothing from Lynn a few days after the murder. Lynn also requested access to the home after the murders, posing as a Scottish Yard officer. And and that, like, why are you doing that? Right. What's going on with that, homie? After an interrogation, he eventually confessed to the murders, detailing the crime. He almost immediately took back his statement, and a jury refused uh, refused to him due to claims of police brutality. Hold on. I'm sorry. I, I can't hear you. Um, so, the, a jury refused to convict him. Because uh, he said they were beating me. Years following the murder, or years following the murders, investigators looked at every possible lead. You know, is it a single act? Was there a serial killer? Could have just been someone traveling through. Reports of similar crimes started to creep up uh, from all over the country. They weren't quite as gruesome, but they did involve an axe, oil lamp burning low, and despite the commonalities, no actual connections could be made. The case ran as cold as the killer's heart. The home was boarded up 
sitting quietly at the end of the street while life went on around it, undeterred by tragic crime that was committed within its four walls. The hand, the plenty of people, you know, the home has switched hands plenty of times. Reports of unexplained phenomenon just keep happening. Disembodied laughter, children's voices playing over and over like a recorder, almost as if they're like living the last night of their lives. That's sad. Unexplained screams, movements, even a strange fog that um, has been reported inside the home. Unusual behavior of visitors to the house also points to maybe possession occurring there. Um, the house is a paranormal hotel nowadays. You go in, you stay. Where groups of six or fewer can book an overnight stay at the hotel. The owner of the home, Martha Lynn, uh, had her own comment to share. She says, I feel like there's something there. If indeed there are spirits, you have to realize that six of them are children. I don't know if the murderer still exists there, but there have been a few things that have happened that aren't exactly calming. But I don't like to dwell on it. And that's the Velisca Axe Murders. Now, we go into much more detail uh, in our episode, don't we? So if you want more information on that, or if you want more information on the, uh, what was the middle one? The San Pedro haunting, we could probably, you shush, we could probably, uh, swing that. If you have any topics, send them in to hauntedmaritalproductions14 at gmail.com or email us personally, uh, Julia is jwimmer87 at outlook.com. I'm wvsop91 at gmail.com. Give us a give us a, a, a an email. Shoot us an email and, and tell us your experiences. Remember to I know we put a thing in the beginning of the episode, but just remember uh, share, rate, review our episodes. Subscribe where you listen. This helps uh, get the show out there. And the more people we get out there, the the better quality we can give you. Because right now, I'm recording on the phone. We're in a car. That's not the best quality, but we want to get ahead. Because we've got quite a few episodes to record now. And one that I'm actually going to be working a couple of weeks on, I think. It's going to be a couple of weeks of in, uh, information to take in. Maybe, maybe a little bit longer. I'm trying to prepare for that. We also have Kathy working up a story of her own from an investigation that she's done. So we got a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. Also, we would like to announce we are starting a YouTube channel. So here soon you will also be able to get our episodes on YouTube. I don't know... Um, I still have to figure out how to do the camera work and all that, but we are we are working very rapidly towards YouTube. In fact, if you go and look for uh, Haunted... I think it's either Haunted Marital Productions or Ghosted in West Virginia, you'll find we have no videos yet because we are, we are learning. But we do have a channel, so if you want to subscribe to that, uh, we'll be posting things pretty regularly to that as well. That being said, Jules, you got anything? I don't. You've been very quiet this whole episode. I'm driving. She's <laughs> crashing us. 
That being said, we love y'all. Remember, curl up your feet. Curl them up. I didn't say it last time during the actual episode and it killed me. Curl them feet up. Curl them up. Curl them so good that you can taste the nail polish. And they cramp. Good night. Pleasant dreams. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.